see everybody today. We're in a series called Be Rich, which is a bit of a provocative title because it's like, oh, here we go. Do more, give more money in church. And so it's by design a little bit. We want to get you thinking about it. We want to push those buttons that maybe it did push, but it needs some explanation. So here's the explanation because that, Be Rich, Do More, Give More, it's taught in the scripture. And so this is where it comes from. Where the series comes from, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is what's going on. The writer of this particular passage is a guy named Paul, and Paul has just been released from jail for teaching and preaching the good news about Jesus. So here was his message to the world at the time, that God's standard is perfection. And anything less than that standard in you is unacceptable. If, if you can't meet it, you're out when it comes to God. And you can't meet it on your own. You can't get there by yourself. So stop trying to get to God by all the stuff that you're doing. There is another way, the only way. The one he sent his son, it was Jesus who was really the son of God, did live perfectly. The life he lived met that standard for us and his death covered over all of our trying to get there but falling short, all of our missing the mark. So it turns out that being right with God is not something you have to go do. It's something that's been done for you. You just have to receive it. Just take it, believe it, receive it, and Go live like you've just been given the greatest thing in your whole life. So who wants it? And a bunch of people said yes. Sound good to anybody in here? Okay, that's the basis. Some people said no, though, you're wrecking our religion. That messes, what we got. That messes up everything we got going on here, so we're going to put you in jail. So they put him in jail. After a couple of years, he gets out. He goes to check on the people that said, there are pockets of people that said yes. And those pockets of people are believers, churches. So he went to one of his favorite places, the city of Ephesus. And he goes there expecting to find a certain thing going on, but he, but he doesn't like what he sees when he goes. It's conduct unbecoming of believers. They're not living with great gratitude towards God because of receiving this great gift. And so he writes a letter to their pastor. Their pastor's name is Tim. And he's like, Tim, you got to fix this. This is a mess. Your, their worship is wrong. It's not centered on the right things. The leadership there is wrong. And they're not thinking rightly about money. When I, when I went there, everyone's so concerned about the here and now, and no one really has their eye on God who, who, who saved you. No one is content. That was one of the problems he noticed there. There wasn't anyone that was content. They all wanted more, more, more. And so they were, their love for money and more was plunging them into ruin. And he said some of them are even walking away with, from faith altogether because of money. So uh, he says this in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, no. Flee from these things. So this based on what I saw, is what I want you to teach in the church. And so he writes 17 through 19. In that passage, which is our passage, this is what he's supposed to teach that church, these things. That's where our title comes from in there. So this is what he was supposed to teach these folks, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Hey, Tim, teach that. So why do we talk about money in church? We do that because we're taught to teach that sort of thing. This ended up being a really helpful correction to this group of believers. I hope that it proves to be a really helpful correction to us as a group of believers here. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it and find out if indeed it is. Lord, thanks for the opportunity to teach. I just Help me to teach today what you have written in your word. It's what we're supposed to teach in the church. And, and help it to stick where it needs to stick. And do that by your Holy Spirit and the power of the word and those things together to bring about real change in us. And we ask that you do it in the great name of Jesus. And everybody said. All right, so that's the basis why we're doing it. So he starts off in 17 and he said, for those who are rich in this present age. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, would that be us? Would you and I say, all right, based on that, this passage is for me because I am rich in this present age. Would you and I say, anybody willing to say you are rich? Any rich people out there? And that's sometimes the problem when it comes with rich people. Andy Stanley, who taught this passage to his church first under the title be rich said that sometimes um, being rich wealthy comes with side effects and one of the side effects of rich people is they live in denial of the fact that they're rich tall people admit they're tall short people admit they're short introverted people admit they're introverted extroverted people can't wait to tell you that they're extroverted we know but rich people no one's signing up for that Gallup did a poll. They asked, what is rich in America? And this, what, this is one of the things that came back. Rich is $150,000 a year. If you make $150,000, that is rich, which seems rich to me. But then here's what they did. They went and asked the people that made $150,000 a year, and they said, are you rich? And what did they say? I'm not rich, right? It, it doesn't matter where you draw the line. Whoever you ask, if they happen to be over it in terms of what they make or what they have, they're always going to move it someplace over, no matter how far down the, the, the road you go. They asked the subscribers of Money Magazine, what is rich? And they said, five million. If you have five million in relatively liquid assets, that's rich. Not 4.7, not 3.6, not 2.2, not a dollar less than five million, and that is rich. And you can imagine how it went. And they asked the people with five, like, not us. Even Shaquille O'Neal made, what, $20 million a year playing basketball for a single year? He actually admitted that he was rich once, but he said, I'm rich, but I'm not wealthy. The guy who signs my check, Jerry Buss, is wealthy, and that's who I want to be. So it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter where you draw the line. It's, it's always going to keep moving over. So here's the bottom line when it comes to rich. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is right? Does that fit? Okay, so we're, now here's the good news today. That I think we're going to discover that we're a little richer than we thought. So you can thank me later after this, but you came in and you didn't think you were very rich and no one raised their hand, but when you leave, you're going to realize, hey, I'm doing okay. So I'll be in the back and you just thank me as we go out. I'll be right back there. Right. So a few, I want us to consider 
Maybe we're richer than we thought. So here's a few figures. And sometimes these, are, these figures are difficult because we want to read into them, but let's just take them for what they are, look at them, and consider it in our own heart. When you, when you ask the world a question, and so uh, there was a study that was going to ask the world a question, what is the median household income across the world? Those studies take a while because by the time you get all the information back, sometimes the information you get is not up to date. So they become outdated before they're even done. But one that asked that question, what is the median household income across the world, just went to press late in 2013. And median means this, is that it means middle. It doesn't mean average. It means this is the middle number. So half the incomes in the world would be, household incomes would be more than this, and half would be less. What do you suppose the number is? Go ahead and throw some out. This is participate. 15. One more, two. 30. Did I hear 30? All right. Here's the number. 9,733. So that's half. So half the households in the world make more, but half make less. And hang on to this. This is not just sub-Sahara Africa. So we all know how poor it is in other places. Like, yep, it's pulling it down, pulling it down. But these numbers come from us. These, these numbers come from within the room. Don't think that they do not. Don't automatically punt and say, it's always somebody else. I know a guy who I, I would say he's my friend. I saw him on Friday. He makes $12,000 a year and has two kids and lives right here. If you make seven twenty-five an hour and you're cranking out 40 hours, then you can expect about 15000 at the end of the year. So, I mean, it's... The, what I'm saying is these are our numbers. It, it comes from us. So there's, there's that. Now, here's Indiana. Indiana's 46. So... Half of the households in India make more than that and half less. Brandy and I, we would be, a, we would be in the upper half of Indiana, our household, we're, it's more than that. But there's this thing about it, if you tried to tell us that we were rich, we, we'd fight you. Not physically, but we would, but we would like, there's that, we, I could give you lots of reasons why we're not, Right? Lots of reasons why we're not. But then we would have 3.5 billion plus the 3 million in Indiana say, oh, yes, you are. And then, and then one more. I think God has us connected to certain places in the world for a reason. This morning, much, much earlier, because they're ahead of us, I mean, there are life community churches all over the world. I don't know if you knew that. So you're a member of life community church, and you come here, and you gather, and we worship, and teach, and preach. But it happened just like that in other places like Liberia, so that they would call themselves as they left members of Life Church. There's seven of them in Liberia. And those congregations, though, are just like us, but in different places. So in Liberia, the median household income is 781. So half those households are making less than that. And it's easy to justify. You're like, well, there's no way. I don't really know. They, they don't have the same houses we do. They don't have the same needs. They don't have, they just have mud houses and they don't have cars, they don't have an insurance, so they, they don't really need as much as we need, so we can justify it in our mind. How many find it easy to justify, right? Hey, they just don't need as much. Well, they need what we need. And there are, there are really nice houses in Liberia. I've been to some of them. There are cars and they, and they want cars. Just because you go far, far out away from the big cities, you can find a, a thatch house and then right beside it, another thatch house and that house has a car and one does it. They want those things. Well, sure they do. 
I mean, you can go to nice hotels in Liberia and you get French fries and ketchup and hamburgers and, right, and beer, beer. You can, well, I mean, all, you can get those things. It's not that they don't want them. They just, there's just no way. So, just for a moment, just look at it. Would you say that maybe, maybe you are a little closer to who's being addressed in verse 17? All right, so just another indicator that you might be richer than you think, and then we'll go on. And this one has to do with um, our frustrations. Little financial frustrations or things that you have to deal with. Uh, maybe you had to deal with them this past week. Maybe you will have to, but they're just stuff that's on your mind that, that bothers you, and it, I think it will be an indicator in some way that maybe you're richer than you think. So here are some of mine. My son broke his iPad. It was a school-issued iPad, and he broke it 50 bucks. And I, I didn't want him to have it anyway. I, like, I could have told him that, that he was going to break. That's why I didn't get him one. <laughs> like, I want to tell him, like, no, you pay the 50 because I told you he would break it. You put it in his hand, so you pay, is what I want to say. I haven't said it. It was 50 bucks, and it bothers me, right? I had a rental house with a toilet that won't work, and it's been, I had to go there three times. I'm clearly not a plumber, nor <laughs> I'm too cheap to pay for one too. So there's like, but it's a problem for me. It's an issue. I paid $74 to have a newspaper show up in the box, but it won't, it hasn't shown up yet. And it bothers me. Like I just go look at that little box. It's still, <laughs> still not in there. <laughs> is this frustration? You have your own. So I want you to think about your own little, just your little things. This was another, this was the last one of mine. This happened. It's a four-wheeler. It's buried in water. My sons went riding. This is how the story went, that the older one went out on the ice, and he heard it cracking, and he told the little one who was on it, don't come out here. It's too thin. And the little one drove out on it and raised his face mask and said, what? (laughs) That's a problem. Okay. Are those legitimate problems for me? Those are, that's what I'm having to deal with. That's my life. It's part of my life. Is that legitimate? Yeah. Okay, but, but I want to describe, those, are, those problems are, so I want you to think about your own, just little things that you've got going on. Those are probably RPP. RPPs. Rich people problems. Because I would have a really hard time sitting down with life, let's say I'm preaching at Life Community Church Liberia and I sit down afterwards and we're waiting for the business meeting to start and we got a little time to chat so I'm sitting down and I look over and I say, can you believe the iPad fees? The... Are you getting the newspaper? Because I paid the money. Did it show up in your box? Because it's not showing up in mine. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking No. Different frustrations. From that seat, what would the frustrations be, maybe? I know this to be true. We've got seven kids. We're worried about school fees. I know I can send them to school for this month. I'm not sure about next. And I'm, I, I know we can have one meal a day for sure for the next seven days. Not probably two, but one. So that's, that's a whole different set of frustrations. So maybe, just maybe. Now, let me say this before we go any further. I understand that some of you right now are under tremendous financial pressure through no fault of your own. 
Husband left. So did the money. Had a wreck. Lost your job. Cancer came back. I have no idea. There's no way I could possibly know. So the last thing I want you to do is walk in here and say, well, because I, don't, because I make more than $9,733, he just said I'm rich. I'm not saying that. You own what you can own, and if you can't, don't own it. I'm not pressing it to you. I'm simply saying these are some things to consider. So you, you hear me on that? You okay with that? You hear me? I'm not pressing it to you like that. I'm asking you to consider. So with that said, most of us maybe could say, all right, verse 17, those who are rich. Now, what is the charge from that point on? The first charge is don't be haughty. Don't be proud. That's what he says. Tell them, those who are rich in this present world, don't be proud. Don't, like how much do you have? Do you have, what, what do you have to hang on to? What sort of things have you acquired? What's your, what are your riches like? You can't say, look what I have done. You can't grab a hold of it and say, look, look at me. It's like, um, I think of Tom Hanks in Castaway when he builds that fire on the, on the, it's like, I have made fire. Like, look what I have done. Like, you can't say that about that. You, our own text says, if you have anything in your hands, then God put it there. Our text says in verse 18, it says, if you are enjoying something, it came from God who gives us everything that we might enjoy it. So it all comes from him. We can't boast about it in any way because God put it there. It's all his. He says that from the very, very beginning. Genesis, Job, Isaiah, Psalms, right on into the New Testament, God over and over and over again says, it's all mine. And I only let you have parts of it for seasons. To manage, I want you to manage it, but it's all mine. I actually love, I like Psalm 50, the way it says it there. God is so very clear. In Psalm 50, there's a problem going on. And the problem is, people have sinned against one another, but they know that that sin has probably compromised their relationship with God. So to fix it, they know he's probably not happy. To fix it, they're, they're thinking, well, if I could take a, um, a, a cow from my field or a, uh, or a sheep or a goat, and I would take it to the priest, the priest would offer it to God on my behalf, and somehow that would dissolve God's anger and we would be okay, as if God needed a gift. Almost like kind of paying him off. Like, I'm in God's debt, but I can pay God back, and then, then we'll be good. And God says, literally, in this text, do you think I need a cow? The, the cow that you brought me was mine. You didn't, it wasn't your cow to give. It wasn't like a gift from your field. It was mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Every creature on the planet is mine. The earth and the fullness therein is all, say it with me, mine. Not mine, mine. <laughs> mine. And I only let you have it for a season. He said, I don't want that. What I want is, he said, the one that will bring me an offer of thankfulness, he or she is the one that glorifies me. What I want is, I don't want the stuff that's already mine. I want you to thank me. I want the recognition that I put it there. So what do you have? What has he put in your hand? How much? Say thank you. Just say thank you. I'll say it's mine. I'll look what I have done. Maybe you're awesome. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're a, 
You can see things no one else has. You can negotiate and all of this stuff. Maybe you're hanging on to the coattails of an entrepreneur and he's like, all this money's coming in. You're like, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. Maybe you're a craftsman and you can just make stuff with your hands. Congratulations. It was God's idea first. He's the one that, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I'll make you an entrepreneur or a craftsman. It all comes from him. Even your ability to pull it in comes from him. So he can't boast about it. He's just said it there. How can you boast? Now, the, I think the most you could do is maybe boast about being a good manager. It doesn't say you're supposed to do that either, but that's really what we are. That's Matthew chapter 25. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about that? There was a rich man who was going away, but he decided to, he was going to a far off land, but he was going to come back someday. But while he was away, he put portions of his kingdom in different people's hands according to their ability. To some he gave five, to some he gave two, to some he gave one and said, manage it well. Manage it like you're going to have to give an account for what you did with it. That's our reality. You can read that story. Listen, whatever you have, you're just managing. I, the house I live in and that I manage today used to be managed by a guy named Bob. And he, did it, he managed it for 50 years and did so very well. I mean, he was kind of a who's who in the community. He had, I mean, they had great parties there. Parties I would never be invited to, probably. But now I'm sitting in that living room. They didn't, they didn't see that coming. You just manage it for a little bit and then someone else manage it. Now I'm managing it. I just put sticky back uh, carpet tiles on my basement floor. For who? <laughs> Probably for whoever owns it next. You can thank me if you buy the house. Now we put individual squares because I know we're going to ruin some if we're going to spill things on it, but we'll pull them up and it'll be nice for you later. Listen, you're only, whatever you're managing, listen, it's going to be somebody else's soon. Tracking with me on that? So just don't, don't boast. Two, don't boast. Don't put, the second thing he says is, for those who are rich in this present world, don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in, our text says, the uncertainty of riches, which is easy to do. I'll read you a, a, a classic story about a rich man and a poor man. The, what I'm going to pull from the story is not why Jesus told the story, but we can pull some things out of it about wealth that, that appear just from a cursory reading. So this story comes from Luke 16. You don't have it. Just listen to the story. You might know it. The rich man and Lazarus. But it says this. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. 
So he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place. All right. From the story, what can money do? Because it can do some things. What can money do? From the story, money can get you purple clothes. I don't care if you like purple. Purple means something. Purple means nice clothes. Nice clothes. From the story, so purple clothes, good food. Right? He eats sumptuously, good food. And money can do a gated community. Right? So comfortable living. You could look at the gate a couple of different ways. The gate is is an idea of comfort, but it also keeps something out. So it serves as protection. So can money do those things? Can they bring those in? Sure they can. That's why we love it. Because money gives us the ability to bring things like that into our life. I mean, it's why I like it. So I'll use this language. It's a little bit elevated, but I mean, money gives you a certain amount of power. It can make you like a little God. Like you can make things happen that you couldn't make happen if you didn't have it. Right? Things like this over here. So if you want, if you want to watch the Super Bowl today on a flat screen 70-inch TV that looks like you are actually in the stadium, you can. $1,899, and you, it's yours, and money can do that. If you buy it today, you probably get it for half price. So you have the ability to, you, do you like the, if you want to be on the beach in six weeks, if you want to be on the beach in six hours, if you had enough money, you could, money could make that happen. The sun, the sand, the sound of the waves. It can do those things for you. I listened to this song recently. I have no idea why I was listening to it. But it, it said, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a boat. <laughs> right? You familiar with the song? And what else can you get? A truck to pull up. Yeah, you heard the song too. <laughs> okay. I have no idea why I was listening to country music. It was a strange Bermuda Triangle kind of thing. And it, but it happened. Can money do those things? And here's the danger of it. Let's just say, you, let's just say you're diligent and you have enough and you start. Let's just say the, the pile starts to increase. Do you know what will happen? Like, you could say migration of hope. Pretty soon if it gets big enough, pretty soon you start to look to it only because it can protect you. That was number four. It can protect you. Like, let's say you lose your job or something bad happens or there is cancer or whatever. Like, you, all of a sudden you start to look at it only like, it is going to take care of me. And you start to look at it that way. So can it do those things? All right. But what can't it do from our story? It can't keep death away. Who dies in the story? The poor man and the? They both die. So can it keep death away? Now it can. You can, if you have enough, you can kick it away for a while. Probably more so than someone who doesn't have as much wealth. And that's very true. I, I told you about um, my wife's Aunt Shirley, who had cancer, and she has now passed away. But she was able to fight and fight and fight and fight because God had blessed them with a certain amount of wealth. So they were able to just keep kicking it away, and they did as long as they could. But ultimately, you cannot, it will not keep death away. Well, Scripture calls it our last enemy, death. And what else can't it do? It can't give you life 
together with God forever after you die. It can't do that. Now, clearly from our story, which is more valuable? Ask the man in the story. What is the rich man in the story? From the other side of the grave, this is perfect. From the other side of the grave, what does he say is more valuable? Go back and tell my father, go to my father's house. I have five brothers. Tell them not to do it the way I did it. Don't put your hope in money. Put your hope in God because he can give you these two things and this is what you want. So don't put your hope in it. And then three and four. So those are the don'ts. Here are the do's. To those who are rich in this present age, which just might be us, don't, don't, now do, do. Do be rich in good deeds and be ready to share. Which makes sense if it tracks through. If it wasn't ours and God just set it in there and we really are managing it, part of the way he wants us to manage it is to be ready to share. So you just, when you see a need and those things become available, then, you, then you're ready to share. Now, inside of the series, we've, we've grabbed a hold of some opportunities for you to do, for you to share. And they're just opportunities that, we've, that we're making you aware of. So there's nothing special in and of these. They're just for those of us who just might be rich and you come to learn about these things, then here's an opportunity for you to, to practice in some way what you've just heard. So the opportunities are this. David talked about them last week. But they're, they're different places and they're different needs and they do different things, but they all are going towards serving those who might be in need. And if we're rich in this present world, then maybe we help. The, the bottom one here, it has to do with... ABC, African Bible College. This is where my parents spend some of their time. They'll go for five months and then they'll come back and they've done that for a couple of years. Recently they came back. This is the first time they went there after Ebola. So Ebola came through Liberia and there was a certain hopefulness in the people there, they said, before that. But after that, it just, it really wiped them out. So when they came this time, the students that they met, it was a student after student after student just said, hey, I need help, I need help, I need help. And so they came back with students and stories, students and stories. And most of them, they just need, I mean, they just need help with school fees to try to get them through. Now, one of them that struck me down here was a young woman who, she grew up in a Muslim family, but somewhere along the way, she heard this message that Paul was preaching, that same idea that right with God isn't something you go do, it's something that's been done for you. Do you want it? And she said, yes. But that put her at odds with her family, so now she's on the outside, which makes things extremely difficult over there for her. And she's probably someone that's above or below the 781, so maybe a dollar a day gal, and so she needs help. And she's asking, and for those of us who might be rich in this present world, we, we could be open-handed in that way. That would be a opportunity to do that. It's not the only. I mean, you, you actually run into them every day, but that would be one. Others up here have to do with this. Let's just say that there are people that live all around us that have grown up, maybe the first 20 years were very difficult and the, the family that we're in was full of dysfunction. But now they're out of it and they're moving forward, but they only know that way. But there are people who are willing to come in, take them into their homes, live with and beside them to ensure that they find a new way, that they unprogram some of that brokenness that's there. And they're willing to do it over the long haul. Maybe even, 
the, the practical and the spiritual to disciple them so that the next 20 years don't have to be anything like the first. And those organizations be the connecting center and House of Hope, and that's what they do. And that need is all around us in our community, and we could actually help them help them. And they've asked for it. They've made that aware. They've, they've let us know that they could use that sort of help. Here's what's interesting about those, and really all of these. It's easy for them to, to have people give to their organizations to help other people, generous people to give, if they use specific stories and faces because people like to do that. It inspires them, and so they give, give, give. What they need help with is all the, all the less than exciting stuff, you know, the copy machine and the power and the salaries. And no one wants to do that stuff, but they need that stuff. And so those are the things they ask for. Could we come in and do that? Also helping hands. You're facing a pregnancy. Maybe you're unmarried. You've got all kinds of questions. It might be just easier to bail on this whole thing and walk away from it unless you get some help, some resource, people to walk beside you and counsel you. And that's what Helping Hands does. And they've asked for help, and so we could do that. So it's just, hey, it's just an opportunity. If you're rich in this present world, you could be ready to share, and this would be a place to do that. Um, we just estimated that if there are 400 people that sit in the big room on Sunday, and those 400 each gave 40, oh, that would be 16,000, and we could take that and divide it up however um, seemed the best way to do that and, and bless them. That's what it would be. So this is just a one-time $40 deal, and this is just a way in which you could do that. I'm not talking about tithe or giving to the church or um, some of those things are foundation and first but but maybe maybe you're just far away from that to begin with maybe this is just a way to get started and if so you could do that for me this will mean um, $160 so I have four people in this room I have six total but two won't be in here so I have four so I'll that would be 40 each that'd be 160 although our oldest daughter just got her first tax return, so I think uh, she's got her own 40. Is what I, and what a, great, what a great way, what a great way to start showing her that, hey, just because it's set in your hand doesn't mean that it's yours. You start to be open-handed about that. So maybe I'm only in for 120, but either way, 160, so the we are at 1% of that, and then you decide what you can do there. Now, I think that's good, but there's a large, here's the, under, here's the question I want you to come face to face with, which really I think is what's being taught here, is that are you generous? Do I really have to tell you what the Bible says about generosity? Do you know from a base understanding, just from picking up bits and pieces over there, do you understand the expectation? You know that. My question, you be honest with yourself, as I've had to be honest with myself, would you really consider yourself to be a generous person? And if not, because that's the message, that's what's being taught here. That's what Paul is telling Tim to teach. If not, what would cause you to become generous? That is what... That is what every single one of us has to come up against. What would actually cause you to become generous? 
Because the word of God is going to go on forever. This charge to be, it's never, ever, ever going to change. It's just going to keep right on going. So you have two choices. You can either ignore it. And some of you are like, it's worked pretty good for me so far. <laughs> I like the cross part. I don't like the living generous part. So you're, you're wrecking up my, <laughs> you're messing with my lifestyle. So you can ignore it or you can figure out what is it going to take for you to become like what you read. Now, let me give you a should and a could. I know what should make you like that. If you're someone who has said, I love God because of what God has done for me. I get it. It's sunk into my heart. I say yes to the good news. There's a bunch of us in here like that. This is what should be the, the basis for all of your generosity. This is the basis for every command in Scripture for the Christian to be generous. Are you ready? It is the generosity of God towards you. That's the basis. Always and always and always. God has been generous with you. You're the recipient of it. Therefore, you live in a generous way. That is, that is it. Let me, let, me, let me show you where I think it is expressed probably most clearly I would even say the best, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. Here's what's going on in 2 Corinthians 8-9. This is the basis for why. This is, what make, this is what should make you generous. Here's what's going on here. It's Paul again telling Christians in Macedonia about poor Christians in Jerusalem. Macedonians, they're not rich, but the offering that comes up out of them is, it, according to Paul, is, According to their means, even beyond their means, it was huge. he was blown away by their generosity. And he said, this is why. For they know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for their sake he became poor, so that they, by his poverty, might become rich. That's what was alive inside of them. And they understood that Christ set aside everything to become poor for us that we might become rich in things we could never, ever, ever possibly become rich in on our own. Grace, gospel-inspired generosity. And that's, that's should. That's a should. So you, if you're Christian, you know that. Has it shaped your heart? Has it made you generous? Be honest. You know it. I know you know it. But has it really shaped? And so now, I'll be honest. I know that. I'm thankful for it. There are times when I'm really thankful for it. Like when we sing a, you sing a song you like out there. Do you know that feeling? Something just hits and you sing a song and it's like, we just sang what? You're a good, good father. And I've heard that throughout the week. I, just, I sing it in my car loud when I'm not listening to country music. And when we sing it there, it just resonates with me. And if you were to ask me right then, be generous, I'm like, yep, yep. But then the song ends and then we got other things to do, right? So in, I have my moments. But mostly, right, it's just, we had the opportunity at the end of the year to help someone. We had money in savings set aside for something that I didn't really tell Brandy about, but I really wanted. But she brought the need to me and said, we need to do this. And I said, no, we don't. 
Because if we do this, then I can't do this, and I have my heart set on this. And it's going to mess up my plan. And she said, no, we have to do it. I said, but we won't get credit for it on our taxes. Like anything I could do (laughs) to try to (laughs) short-circuit it. Well, we did it. Which is a symptom of my heart. Do I know the gospel, believe it, and preach it? Yes. Has it necessarily made me open-handed? Some days I have my moments. So here's what I think will help. So this, that's the should, but this could help. And the thing that could help would be margin. So now this, I'm stepping away from our text, and I'm just talking to you practically for a moment. You with me on this? Margin is the gap between what you make coming in and what you spend to live on. And when that, when you have, and it doesn't even have to be a lot. All you have to do is keep what you live on down here and what you make up here. And this gap right here, if it's, if it's decent, that's very peaceful. It's actually, man, it's, it's like fertile soil for the gospel to really take root that you could be a generous person. It, it helps you. When it closes and you live on almost everything you make or maybe even blow, this is, this is peace, this is pressure. Because if you live on everything and there's a lot of pressure, let's say you can't pay the bill, it's coming right around the corner. You can see the bill coming and you know, and you know you can't pay it, then every, it makes you deaf to what you just heard. Because you're so worried about that, it doesn't, like God, the gospel, and what this, it doesn't matter because I can't get there. But if you had margin, a little, a little leeway, then man, what you just what we just heard, it, it can really take root. So when I have that, it gives me, op- I always have the opportunity. I just, it allows me to be more successful. Margin, that gap. Pressure or peace, which can set yourself up. So, and it, it doesn't even take a lot coming in. All you have to do is, is plug what's going out. So, just imagine a great big bucket with a whole bunch of holes. That great bit, it takes a bunch to pour it in, pour it in, and it runs back out. You can have a little tiny cup and pour just a little in. But if you only have a little tiny hole, you still have margin. And that would be good. So do you have margin? Do you have peace or pressure? Financial pressure has the ability to drain spiritual fervor, maybe like nothing else. So, so get, get margin. I, I'm trying to think, when did I have good margin? I had good margin, just to show you, it doesn't take a lot in. I had good margin when I worked for Sam Schaefer, uh, feeding his cows, I was eighth grade, feeding his cows, bedding them down, trying not to get run over by his bull. I had good margin. Now, did he pay me well? Mm, fair. <laughs> he was at nine o'clock, so we talked about it afterwards. It was okay. But so I had a little in, but but mom and dad took care of all the out. So all it was is like I had very little out, and I had good, I had good margin. I felt rich. When you have that, you feel rich. So if you need good margin, move in with your parents. Just tell them you're you got to get margin. You just need. I just want to encourage you to. When it comes to money, if you do what you've always done with it. You're going to get what you always got. So we're going to, if you don't seek out ways to get it, a year from now, we're going to be in Be Rich 2, and you're going to be exactly the same pressure spot. So seek outside wisdom. 
Because you, you, you can't do it. You've already got yourself in this spot. You need some outside help. So just some outside help that, that has just some resources you might use. So this is something that is up. Now this book is not the Bible. All right. So let me be super clear. And it's it doesn't claim to be. It's, it, was, I just, it was a reader. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. And I found it to be very helpful. It was just challenged me on some very practical things that helped me get some margin. So I'm not suggesting. I mean, it's an outside resource. If you don't want it, then don't. But it, it did help me in this, and it was very practical. Now, the language in it was a little funny. It just talked about, do you want to fatten thy purse? Right? So you got to think, you know, Babylon way back then. That's the kind of language it's written in. So if you don't like that kind of stuff, don't. Do I want a fat purse? Yeah, that kind. I don't want a necessarily fat purse. But are you tracking with me? So you got to go through some of the language like that. I'm just saying I found it to be helpful. I mean, there were some certain things in there that I read it and then Brandy and I went to, from this we went from credit cards to cash, which I love because it controls all the holes in the bucket. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So then the only hole in the bucket is what, what you just let out just little bits at a time. I like that. And so it's helpful. And then when it's there and opportunities come along like this, they, have the, they have really have a shot to take root. And I would also say um, that financial peace would be a great thing for you to get margin. I, this is not, I'm just on the practical side. We'll, we'll come back in a minute. But financial peace can give you outside wisdom and accountability. The class is just wrapping up. They have like two more and then we'll start another one sometime. But if you really know you need this and you struggle with being generous anyway and you'd like, you want to bring yourself in line with what the word says, I mean, this would be a really practical tool that could help you in that regard. And the last one is this, is that if, if you struggle with generosity, what if every good deed that you did, every act of generosity that you did would actually be rewarded by God forever in eternity together with him. Is that true? What does the Bible say about rewards? And that becomes your assignment for next week. Because that's actually our verse. Verse 19 says, have them be generous to store up for themselves treasures which essentially will never fade. So we'll get into that next time but not before you study it first. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the instruction, and I just pray that, I pray that people would come, would give, the, would give the good news of Jesus some real consideration, that you have been generous with them, that they in turn need to be generous. So work that first, and, and work the practical stuff too. Help it to stick, as I prayed before we got into it. Help it to stick um, where it sticks. And help it to stick where it needs to stick to produce in us something that resembles what we read. I ask it in the good and great name of Jesus and everybody said.